Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay, your usual host, and I'm really excited to welcome you to a new limited series of the Food for the Future podcast called Food is Medicine, featuring diverse guests from five different regions of the world, providing us with some fascinating perspectives on food, nutrition, human rights, and much more. So now I will pass it over to World Food Forum colleague Christina, who will lead us through this fascinating series. Enjoy! In this episode, we were joined by Ms. Shurabi Dogra from India. Surabi has completed a Master's in Social Work in Public Health from the Tata Institute of Social Sciences, where she received accolades for her fieldwork and academic performance. She is a TCI Youth Champion and is an Advocate and Youth Commissioner for the Second Lancet Commission on Adolescent Health and Wellbeing in India. Her experiences of working with adolescents through non-government organisations range from the urban slums of Delhi, Mumbai, to the rural villages of Rajasthan and Maharashtra. We dive into the interrelated topics of adolescent nutrition, healthy diets and climate change, as well as the role of youth in shaping food systems. Surabi, welcome to the podcast and thank you very much for being here. Could you please introduce yourself for everyone listening and tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today and the work you are involved with? Thank you so much for having me on the podcast and the kind introduction. I'm Surabi Dogram from India. I have a background in social work in public health and mass communications. I'm passionate about harnessing health communications to raise awareness about public health concerns, including adolescent health and environmental health. I started advocating for adolescent women and children's health at the age of 16. As we speak and record this episode in September, this month in India is celebrated as Portion Month or Nutrition Month. This year, the key focus is on Mahila or Swastha and Bacha or Shiksha, which translates to women and health and child and education. Adolescents must not be forgotten in the middle. It's great to see the focus you're drawing to nutrition, healthy diets and climate change in this episode because when it comes to adolescents, they are not commonly counted as a vulnerable age group, whether it's nutrition or climate change. We must not forget the adolescent age group somewhere in the middle. Even if we look at national and global plans and policies on other health concerns such as SRHR, mental health, etc., the adolescent population has been neglected. Now with forces of climate crisis, digitization, urbanization, deeply impacting healthcare needs of adolescents, we must ask ourselves, are we ready to support this generation facing these unprecedented issues when their basic health and well-being was already being overlooked. Through the Second Lancet Commission on Adolescent Health and Well-being, we aim to address the ongoing issues along with new and emerging health concerns faced by adolescents today. I'm glad to be a youth commissioner alongside fellow Lancet youth advocates, 43 commissioners representing 21 nationalities coming together to realize transformative change for young people worldwide. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's always great to hear about people's background and what's led them to the work they are doing. And of course, your work with the Lancet Commission is very interesting. And as you mentioned, you're an advocate and youth commissioner for the Lancet Commission on Adolescent Health and Wellbeing in India. So for those listening who are not familiar with the Lancet series on adolescent nutrition, could you tell us a bit about what it is? And perhaps you could also tell us what is adolescent nutrition and why it is such an important topic and why you are inspired to be part of such a project. The Lancet series on adolescent growth and nutrition challenges researchers, governments and donors 
to take a broader view of adolescent nutrition and accelerate responses to rapid change in adolescent food environments. The series consists of three papers that compile knowledge on the role of nutrition in adolescent growth and the drivers of adolescent food choice and provide recommendations on how to achieve better nutrition outcomes for this generation. Now to answer your question, what is adolescent nutrition and why is it such an important topic? We've all heard that nutritional investments in the first thousand days of life have reduced child mortality and early childhood stunting and wasting. To end malnutrition in all its forms, however, interventions and investments are needed in later childhood and adolescence as well. Adolescence brings phenomenal growth, transforming every physiological system from the reproductive to the brain. Adolescent growth carries implications for health across the life course and into the next generation. Yet, adolescent nutrition has remained invisible in government policies and actions, despite adolescent nutrition problems being both entrenched and increasing. From my experience of working with communities, I could see the lack of implementation of adolescent policies at the grassroots level. We are failing to reach out to them despite knowing that investment in this age group can have long-term consequences for overall health and well-being. I feel a key missing link is that we're not giving adolescents and young people the space to have a say about their own health and well-being. I was inspired to be a part of this project because of the opportunity to engage in intergenerational dialogue and collaboration, where I could contribute and learn as a young person and join researchers and experts in the effort to highlight how the world's adolescents are at a nutritional tipping point and the danger of inaction when it comes to adolescent nutrition. Thank you for that answer. It's, you're really doing really inspiring work. So perhaps now you could tell us, how is adolescent nutrition linked to climate change? So tackling adolescent nutrition presents an unparalleled opportunity to interrupt intergenerational cycles of malnutrition and respond to the urgent challenges of planetary change. The series illustrates how a nutrition-focused strategy based on adolescent interventions offers a new lens for tackling the global pandemic of obesity, undernutrition, and climate change, increasingly recognized as an existential challenge to human and planetary health. In a context of shifts in planetary ecosystems and commercial drivers, resilient food systems will need to ensure both access to healthy and affordable foods and provide the infrastructure and incentives for continuing physical activity for adolescents and young people. This generation of adolescents, more than any before, has voiced concerns about the harmful impacts of the food industry and agriculture on planetary ecosystems that are the forefront of demanding change by channeling their energy and creativity into social change movements around the climate crisis. Young people have the potential to also unlock the political and policy paralysis around unhealthy food systems. Adolescents will not only be beneficiaries, but also the central actors in driving transformative change needed to advance healthy, safe and sustainable food systems and diets. Thank you for that. I think, as you said, youth are going to be a really important aspect of changing food systems. So now, thinking in terms of paper two in the series, which focuses on food choice, and also thinking in terms of youth, how are young people influenced by their food environments and how much choice do they actually have when it comes to food? 
So I've asked listeners to imagine that they're on their grocery run in the local supermarket or food bazaar. Which aisle or street vendor do you stop next to? Which foods do you pick? Why do you pick this? Is it because it's healthy? Is this what fits your budget? Is it something your friend recommended or you saw an ad for recently? So paper two, Food Choice in Transition, Adolescent Autonomy Agency in the Food Environment provides an insight into what adolescents eat worldwide and what factors influence these food choices. Adolescents have a lot to say about why they eat, what they eat, and the factors that might motivate them to change. Adolescents must be active partners in shaping local and global actions that support healthy eating patterns. Efforts to improve food environments and ultimately adolescent food choice should harness widely shared adolescent values and desire for social interaction around food. We learned that many adolescents value food as a way to express their individuality. It gives them a sense of belonging you know, with their peers. Autonomy and agency, along with a strong desire for uniqueness and belonging, creates the circumstance that foster unhealthy diets in many modern and mixed food environments. Harnessing these factors to create a sense of urgency regarding the current state of food environments could be a needed trigger of change. But we must work with adolescents to do so. Knowledge of the importance of healthy foods alone will not be the trigger. Adolescents living in poverty and food insecurity are keenly aware of the precarity of their individual, family, and perhaps community situations in relation to food. Many are active participants in food production, preparation, and income generation in some settings in ways that put their own health and well-being at risk. Concerted efforts are urgently needed to adapt social protection and income generation efforts for adolescents with their input. Researchers and experts analyzed surveys and found that current food environments are not conducive to healthy food choice. In many contexts, nutrient-dense foods are insufficiently accessible, whereas nutrient-poor, energy-dense foods are too readily available, inexpensive, and often socially alluring. While working with the regulatory and other actions to support sustainable change, a bottom approach is needed. Adolescents can be empowered with knowledge, skills, and motivation to navigate towards a healthy and socially appealing diet. Understanding of how to make nutritious foods more desirable is urgently needed. The paper also notes that evidence of dietary intake among adolescents remains insufficient for policy and program decision-making in many countries. Researchers suggest that programs must be designed to this unique life stage and adjusted to the unique contextual features that drive dietary intake and food choice. Thank you very much. I think it was a brilliantly detailed breakdown of what Paper 2 is all about. So you have outlined some of the unique challenges faced by adolescents in accessing healthy, safe and sustainable diets across the world. And now drawing from your own experiences in India that has the largest adolescent population in the world, could you tell us a bit about what the food environment is like for young people? I'm sure some people will be aware of the food transition currently taking place in India and many other countries, whereby processed foods are becoming increasingly available and diets are becoming increasingly westernised. So how are young people navigating this environment? So India has the largest number of adolescents in any country globally and is home to around 253 million adolescents. And for a large country like India, with substantial regional diversity, food intake among Indian adolescents varies a lot by state. 
However, it's important to note that socioeconomic disparity is still an important driver of access to nutritious food in mixed food environments. The analysis found that in India, non-traditional foods, for example, pizza, are considered prestigious and consuming them reflected adolescents' aspirations to advance themselves economically and be more modern than the previous generation. Also, for adolescents, girls, they reported that reducing food intake as a result of heightened awareness of body image and a desire to control weight. So, yes, to answer your question, we are seeing that the expansion of transnational food and beverage corporations into emerging markets is accelerating the nutrition transition for adolescents by promoting the availability, affordability, and attractiveness of high-calorie, ultra-processed foods. I think the last part of your question is very interesting, and it takes me back to a village in Maharashtra where I got to see the effects of this transition play out. People who are engaged in agriculture, but water scarcity forced them to migrate to towns to work as construction laborers. Older adolescents were left behind to care for younger children and elderly. With no running tap water, their daily lived experience was to fetch water barefoot in the scorching heat from the only well in the village or walk to a dry river. People would go to a local faith-based healer, the nearest hospital from the village was 30 kilometers away. Households did not have access to regular electricity, but one shop in the village had a small fridge to store alcohol and sugar sweetened beverages. People would only have one or two meals a day of rice and lentils. School children got the same meal every day without any choice or nutritious variety. No fruits or vegetables were available locally. But you could easily find ultra-processed junk foods, chocoballs, spicy mumpkin packets, price at just rupee one. The ultra-processed food industry has reached adolescents in remote villages in India where healthcare services have not. The story of this village is one of many showing us the reality of how climate change, lack of access to healthy diets, is affecting adolescent nutrition. Thank you very much for that. I think especially your experiences show how important this issue is. And yeah, people definitely need to be talking about it more, I think. So we know, as you've just shown us, that you have extensive experience working with adolescents from urban areas such as Delhi, as well as rural areas such as the villages of Rajasthan and Maharashtra. Is there a rural-urban divide when it comes to food? And does this affect adolescents' food choices? Absolutely. There is an urban-rural divide when it comes to food choices of adolescents in India. Based on my experience and findings of the series, I would add gender is an important factor. We often hear about girls, but also need to talk about boys. And wealth, in fact, also plays an important role in the kind of food choices adolescents are able to make or rather not able to make. So if you look at Indian adolescents in urban areas or wealthy households, you will find that they consume more fruits, vegetables, dairy, meat, eggs, and nutrient-poor, energy-dense foods than adolescents in rural areas or poor households. When it comes to differences in food intake between Indian adolescent boys and girls, girls tend to consume more pulses, beans, fruits, and vegetables, and less dairy, meat, eggs, and nutrient-poor, energy-dense foods than boys. So we can see that context matters a lot. In modern food environments, desirability is the most important driver, whereas in traditional food environments, availability and affordability are the most important. There's also limited coverage of school-based services and inequities among rural and poor populations. Right, so you can really see how this is a multifaceted challenge when it comes to adolescent nutrition. There's a lot of different aspects that we need to consider. 
So then on a personal level, what influences the choices you make about what you eat? So no matter where you are, I'm sure you must have already seen a targeted ad for a branded ultra-processed food item while scrolling through the device you're using to listen to, the, to this podcast. On a personal level, living in a modern food environment, I recognize my privilege in making food choices. While autonomy is common in modern food environments, so is ex- exposure to high levels of food advertising and promotion of nutrient-poor, energy-dense foods targeting adolescents and young people. I find myself making unhealthy choices based on emotional triggers used in these targeted advertising. New forms of highly engaging and interactive content exploit adolescents' heightened social sensitivity. Without regulation and literacy tools, how can we expect adolescents and young people to make healthy decisions while the food industry continues to invest in big-budget advertisements? On the flip side, social media can also offer opportunities, you know, for positive influences. Some programs are using it as a platform to deliver positive messages, guidance, training, and peer support. However, the current tendency towards celebrity and social media influencers to advertise and promote nutrient-poor, energy-dense foods must be reversed through regulation of social media advertising and public pressure on celebrities. Social media companies are self-regulated, and although some have made commitments to restrict advertising of alcohol, tobacco, or gambling, none restrict promotion of nutrient-poor, energy-dense foods, and commitments to promote healthy foods and dietary patterns are lacking. Governments everywhere will need to adopt multiple and coordinated actions, including taxation, front-of-packet labeling and regulation of marketing to reduce the consumption of products that are harmful to young people and the planet. The revenues generated from taxation might, for example, be used to provide access to healthy, affordable and sustainable foods. Beyond government, multiple stakeholders, including the food industry, will need to take action to reverse the increased consumption of unhealthy, ultra-processed foods and help end adolescent malnutrition. Despite calls for action, transnational food companies continue to influence and reframe national political debates on food regulation. Social media, as we know, allows direct marketing and influences community attitudes beyond national borders. Given these increasingly transnational dimensions of the ultra-processed food industry, it is timely for WHO, the FAO of the UN and their partners to revisit calls for global regulatory frameworks to assist governments in taking action. Thank you very much for that brilliantly detailed answer. And you can really see how social media is a really key important factor in this discussion about adolescent nutrition. So for the final question we would like to ask you today, Surabi, we know that you work with young people. And of course, WFF is a youth-led global network of partners facilitating youth action So we would like to know, what do you think is the role of youth in driving change when it comes to adolescent nutrition and also improving sustainability in food systems more generally? And what does the next generation of food advocates need for those in power today? The key ingredient in the recipe for transforming adolescent nutrition and improving sustainability in food systems is the meaningful participation of adolescents and young people. The youth is already driving change and holding systems accountable when it comes to the climate crisis. We need to remember that advocating for healthy adolescent nutrition is also a part of this discussion. And we need to place adolescent nutrition advocacy within a broader ecological context. We can use our agency to catalyze our collective power to demand transformative change 
that addresses commercial, structural, and ecological drivers of food choice. Adolescents and young people are involved in all aspects of the food system, from production, agriculture, to consumption. Then why can they not also be involved in decision-making at all levels? The next generation of food advocates needs support from those in power today. We can't do this alone. We need all actors that influence food systems, schools, governments, health and education ministries, policymakers, researchers, UN agencies, donors, to partner with young people at all levels, from planning, policy, to practice. Achieving healthy, safe, and sustainable diets for all adolescents across the world should not be a distant target to the 2030 or so on. We need action now for ensuring nutrition for future generations while also protecting our health today. Thank you so much. I think that's a brilliant answer to end things on. Once again, thank you very much for taking the time to be part of our podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to find out more about you and your projects. Um, and I'm sure many people listening will be really inspired by your work. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. To learn more about the World Food Forum, please go to world-food-forum.org. You have been listening to the Food for Future podcast. This takeover episode was created and produced by Cristina Hagiani, Marta Pace, Valentina Vitale, Giorgio Sonino and Mario Gioldi. Additional production support by Lindsay Hook, Tocco Cato, Valentina Carlino and Hugo Boris. <laughs>